Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 108. Joining me today is Matt Santangelo. We have got no Martino in our ears today. How are you, mate? Doing well. Um, staying busy. Milan are doing well. Uh, more Champions League games coming around the bend. Uh, actually, Milan making their return home in a Champions League fixture against Atletico Madrid. And just so happens, the last time they had their last home Champions League game, it was against Atletico Madrid. <laughs> it's fake. So come Things are coming full circle, and um, yeah, it's it's a good moment for for me and for all Milan fans. Awesome. I mean, a good day for Arsenal and Milan fans, actually. Um, a very very good day. I kind of wish I was going into the office or something just to see some Spurs fans. But don't worry, I've given my Spurs friends a, a rub in. I mean, uh, during the game, Roberto Rojas was uh, WhatsApping me like he, he was screenshotting me his Spurs friends. <laughs> just going absolutely mad and I was absolutely creasing it was at half time uh it was so so good but I mean we'll start there in the Premier League right two big games over the weekend um was it this weekend that Chelsea played City it was this weekend it was. um and Arsenal played uh Spurs obviously we'll start with City Chelsea Matt going into this one a lot of people had Chelsea down as the favorites for the league and they thought that the City team might struggle with them I didn't see it that like that. I've been kind of looking a lot at the underlying stats and Chelsea have actually been quite lucky to concede how many goals they've conceded and been quite lucky to score how many goals they can sc- they've can they scored. And look, like when you have a good defence and a £100 million striker, you're always going to overperform the amount of goals you should score and under uh, and, you know overperform the amount of goals you concede, especially if you've got a goalkeeper. But it still looked a bit off to me. And I was looking, I've seen a couple of City games, like they should have scored against Spurs they should have scored a ton against Southampton and under Pep I don't think they've ever failed to score in two consecutive Premier League games so I was like they're scoring I don't know how many they're going to score but they're going to score and it was as dominated as I've seen Chelsea since they got dominated by City this time last season but this time as kind of title hopefuls or favourites and I mean going into this did did you think this was going to be a much tighter affair? I did. I mean, we've we've been touching on Chelsea at length for for really dating back since last year, right? They had a big market. They obviously had the Champions League victory. They had, um, you know, the, the Super Cup. They had a really good start. The promising addition of of Romero Lukaku, and they were flying, right? Everything under Thomas Tuchel was 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 rosy and perfect. And of course, until you come up against a big bad wolf in Pep and his city. And I thought when I looked at this match um, as a whole. And I, for all the reasons you just mentioned, right, I, I felt that as though that maybe City were going to pull this one out. Um, but it's a little bit of a different, I guess, nature or, or way they pulled it out, right? It wasn't, we're going to attack you to death and we're going to put three on you. It was, we can stymie you, shut you down, take you know, some of your top players out of the equation and render them useless. And Lukaku really didn't have that sort of same game or same performance that we've seen from him earlier in the season. So for them to get a, a 1-0 win here... Um, it felt like more of like a professional victory of City saying, now hold up, we're still the favourites. Yeah. Let's, let, let that be known. Yeah. And and uh, I still had them as favourites going into this, um, this season, and I still do now. And I think that was like a marker. Like Chelsea were utterly dominated. It could have been like 3-4-0, right? Um, and the comparison I, I used was Chelsea got dominated by City as badly as Chelsea dominated Arsenal at the Emirates um, a, a few weeks back. And that's a big statement, but 
it, it could have been 2-0. Uh, Thiago Silva cleared, cleared one off the line. It could have been, you know, it could have been any score. Like, they could have scored a lot more. And they didn't really look like they were getting out of third gear. Bernardo Silva was just ridiculous in midfield. Jao Cancelo, really, really impressive at left-back again. Ruben Diaz uh, and Laporte had Timo Werner and, and Lukaku, all, like, at arm's length the whole time. Edison stepped up when he needed to with a with a kind of a, a sweeper-keeper-type motion. Um getting fouled in the progress like I just think that people maybe got ahead of themselves a little bit and that a lot of Chelsea's players they are system players to some extent and they're very good ones but they are system players so Antonio Rudiger is a really good defender really good center back I don't think I've seen him play that well outside of a three Thiago Silva is at his prime a world-class center back is still an incredibly good center back but is he going to hold his own in a four Cesar Aspilicueta, has he ever looked really good outside of a, a back five? And then you have Jorginho and Kovacic. Uh, can they play without Kante? Um, you know, does Jorginho need the whole system to be around him in a specific way to be a very, very good and uh, effective player? I, I would personally say yes. Marcus Alonso, is he a good player? He's all right. Is he a great player in a back five? Yes, he is. And I think we saw that to some extent that when you lose your individual battles, when the system is inferior to a system like Pep's, which just strangles you, it's very difficult because you need a moment of magic. And then you're looking at the Kai Havertz's, the Mason Mounts, the um, the Romelu Lukaku's, and realistically, there aren't that many of those players at Chelsea that are just going to say, look, give me the ball at the halfway line and I'm going to make something happen, or give me the ball outside the box and I'm going to make something happen. And when you didn't have those, Mount was injured, for example, it was very difficult for Chelsea to do anything. And I think, for me, what I've reaffirmed to myself now is we have City, and then we have Liverpool and Chelsea, and then United, and then it's the rest. If I don't see that top four, in whichever order it is, but probably City on top, with either Liverpool or Chelsea second and third, I'm going to be kind of... I'm going to be a bit shocked. Um, but, But there we have it, I guess... Uh, a really big dominant performance by City, Matt. I don't know if you have any other, any other comments. Any other comments, rather? No, I think what you said about Chelsea, um, you know, as far as you know, the, a lot of this, the players in that system, right? I mean, we 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 talked about you know Jorginho. I know we kind of have our differing opinions on him, and he seems like a very divisive player as far Absolutely. as his his impact and the magnitude and how much you can really like you know, extrapolate how important he is to a team because um, he plays a very specific role. But I think you're you're bang on in the sense that, you know, you're looking at a lot of players that are good with asterisks, provided he does this, or, you know, contingent on him being next to this player. And and to an extent, that's something you see across the board with many good teams, right? There's always that sort of player that, you know, like a pep having his hand-picked guy or his very specific type of fullback, or if it's sorry, having his very specific midfielder and, and the list goes on and on and on. So I think every team to a degree has that sort of system like um, player or players. But I think with Chelsea, it's, it's obvious, right? Like if they're not in the exact positions they need to succeed where they're most comfortable, they feel a little disjointed. They feel a little bit vulnerable and they feel susceptible to, to, you know, having the results like they did on the weekend. And then moving over to the North London derby, I was very, very happy. <laughs> I was very, very, very happy. I Look, I came into the game not feeling very nervous, which is weird, right? But 
there was there's always like look you know you know what it's like when you have a, a North London derby uh, a Milan derby a Madrid derby like forms out the window right like you're playing a team that's 30 minutes down the road like we invaded North London from South London that's that goes the story but this was like a huge game for Arsenal and Arteta this was like you know as as big a game as it was for him since he's been here really like bigger than you know no one expected Arsenal to win the FA Cup they did it that was great uh, no one expected Arsenal to get there to the final past City um so he he kind of had a free whack in that final right he'd, he'd beaten Pep and then he'd gone to the final against Chelsea um this was also a game Matt where he had six new signings or six players that he'd bought and five players that he'd, he'd given new contracts to, either that that way or the other. So, you know, Smith-Rowe, Saka, Aubameyang, Granit Xhaka, all got new contracts under Mikel Arteta, and Kieran Tierney, mm-hmm. that five. Then you have uh, Ramsdale, new keeper signed by him, uh, Gabriel signed by him, Ben White, Tommy Yasu, uh, Odegaard, all signed by him. So and, and Thomas Partey as well. So you have the situations where, as much as people love Arteta, or maybe they don't, as a former Arsenal captain, like the excuses were were running thin, and he needed to plant a marker in the ground in a in a, in a way that was the way that he's been talking about playing football, right? And to come out and be three 0 up by thirty five minutes, and it, to be led by two guys that have come out of the academy was just amazing. The atmosphere was incredible, probably the best I've I've seen at the Emirates since I don't know, uh, you know, when Bar- when we beat Barcelona two one. Um, I wasn't at the game, but just just seemed like pandemonium, right? And I think it was just like a really, really big marker in the ground for Arsenal uh, and Arteta. And I guess on the Spurs side, I haven't really seen a Premier League side that lost within a game, but also generally looking so stale as I have Spurs. on. And, and this isn't me just beating up on Spurs because I'm an Arsenal fan, even though I'd love, I love to do that objectively they just seem very stale Harry Kane we talked about it over the summer you're never going to get a better offer right you're never going to get a better offer and whether you sell him for 100 million or 125 million that number is going to be a lot lower next summer or whenever he goes and then you you go out you buy a Tammy Abraham you go out you buy another forward to try and supplement that the goals and assists and then if you look at what they did in the midfield in the game where Matt I don't know if you watch the highlights or watch the game but they just played route one like every time and they won no headers, no second balls, up to Harry Kane towards Ben White. Ben, uh, ben White kind of dealt with him pretty easily. And then obviously when it goes over to, to Gabriel, who's an absolute monster in the air, he wins everything. Tommy Asu, as, as we've talked about, wins like 90% of his area of duels just because he's a, basically a centre-back playing right-back. It it was really strange. And Dombele and, and Hoiberg in midfield were absolutely terrible. Didn't track back, they were lost. Regulon looked like a child playing against Saka. It was it was awful. Like I almost felt bad for him at times. Every time he had the Saka had the ball, he looked terrified. So I I, I don't know, like for you as as an outsider, Matt, where do you where do you see these current these clubs currently um in terms of their trajectories? Like did that did that game have any influence on them for you? I think they always they always tend to, right? I think, you know, you always look to a derby to swing the pendulum one way or the other, right? For whichever team, right? If there's a team that it was in need of a, di- a dire need of a big performance to get them out of a sort of rut or, um, you know, a cellar or just some sort of dark place that they're in as far as form goes, you look to those big pivotal derbies as that, that game is just, come on guys, let's get up for this. Like this is a, this could be a season turning 
match. And I think for Arsenal, it could, you know, you obviously hope it is. And I think, you know, that's what maybe the expectation could be. Now you obviously have to take it with a grain of salt, right? For the reasons you mentioned regarding how um, dry and, and, and just uh, kind of um, outlived this Tottenham side feels like, right? I mean, yes, they got some new players in there, new coach, but it still feels as though it's kind of like the Jose Mourinho type post Pochettino type squad where it's like, what's, what's hot and new about this team? That's going to make us say Tottenham can maybe get back to being a, you know, a really big threat here. Right. And I think that's kind of how the way I look at it. And it looks as though they, a lot of these players are just kind of jumbled around in a squad, them throwing money around and seeing what player sticks versus actually having a calculated approach to getting players that can help in, in, to your, to your point, revamp, retool, and just give it a sort of refreshing take on what Tottenham should be. So I think for Tottenham, it's, it's going to be, in my opinion, more, um, more of a decline. I just don't really see any sort of semblance of where they're actually going to take something like this and just something's going to go off their mind, like a Eureka moment where they're going to play well. I'm not saying they can't get one-off results because you know that that's the nature of the game. But I think for, from an Arsenal standpoint, you know, this to, and even Mikel Arteta from a, from a larger standpoint here, because that's, that's obviously come under fire. This is the type of, of match you needed. Taking the game by the scruff, you had the three goals very early on. That's how you make a statement. That's how you bury your rival. And that's how you get sort of um, sort of that extra backing and that sort of monkey off your back that says, all right, like, let's establish our order here. Let's build on this. We've got a good victory. And I think we can build from here. So um, all in all, I, I think that, you know, some of the additions that Arsenal made, you know, I know the people were, you know, kind of suspect. I know you were as well um, in kind of the, uh, in the build up to the very end of the window. But Tomiyasu, who I watched plenty at Bologna over the years, um, or the past couple of years, shall I say, very versatile player. So a lot of these things that we're seeing are not are hardly surprising. Um, but I've always loved Odegaard. I've loved, I love Saka. I love a lot of the players um, from a skill standpoint on this Arsenal team. It's just now for Arteta just to just take and extract everything as far as potential from these players and help them show it on the field because there's talent in this team. Arsenal aren't a team that's second half of the table. They're a team that should be more in that top four conversation. Obviously, they have their difficulties, but you get my point, right? They should be a team that can go to Old Trafford or Stamford Bridge and, and compete and feel like they can compete and feel like we're Arsenal, we're in this game. So a great result for them. and It's, it's something that I think they should be able to build off. For sure. And the, the next test is pretty difficult, right? Brighton away who have started, I mean, they could go top if they win tonight, for example. So they've started really well and they're, they're going to be no slouches. So a, a victory is by no means guaranteed. And in, in some ways it's, it's a more difficult game than it is, um, that it would be against uh, um, someone like Spurs who are in an absolute rut. And I'm curious to see if they sack Nuno, if they keep with him, if there's going to be a big overhaul in January. It's very interesting to see, but um Matt, moving on to Serie A, I've watched a, a bit of Napoli this season. And look, I've been watching a lot of Milan and Napoli just because I've got a load, load of their players on Sora, right? I've got Mario Rui, who I think one of your friends, Dan Russo, always hates on, who I actually think is an okay <laughs> player. Um, <laughs> so I've got his super rare. But Victor Osman, I mean, I, I, I made a couple of tweets saying, like, I think he's the best strike, under 23 striker outside of Haaland. Do you think there's anyone better than him before we go into Napoli's Scudetto credentials? 
I think it's difficult to say, right? Because last year when he made that big move to Lille, we saw it when he was when he was fit and available for for selection for Gattuso. He was a big impactful striker. He's he get the long strides. He's quick. He gets good 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 uh, good opportunities in the air to head home the ball. You know, good good goal uh, goal score when he's in front of goal. So there were a lot of things that you look at. It's like if this guy just stays healthy, he's poised for a breakout. And it's funny because me and Martino were talking, and I know he's he kind of keeps hammering this home. But he actually picked Victor Osimhen as his like dark horse, um, you know, Capo Canary winner this year, Golden Boot winner for Serie A. And this was even before, when Ronaldo was still at Juventus currently. So I think it's it's pretty clear that you know the way Spalletti plays football is was always going to render some really good results. Now, whether or not people expect them to come this quickly and this frequent is another thing. But I think people always look to the coach and they says. Gattuso's okay, but there's a reason why he kind of bounces around and he's, you know, he kind of isn't really quite able to establish himself um, in, in one, one, one specific role. Once Spalletti was earmarked as the guy, you kind of knew players like Victor Olsen were going to benefit so much. And you're seeing it, right? Guy who does pretty much anything you want in from a striker. He's quick. He can do some things in the buildup. He can play back to goal. You know, and this is a type of guy that they spent a ton of money on. You know, De Laurentiis showed up upwards of 70 million for him, which is pretty remarkable considering you don't really see those figures thrown around from Serie A sides, right? If it's not Juventus, it's pretty much nobody else. So I think that you can make that case that he is um, like right below Holland. Holland's in a league of his own. We all know that he's averaging like a goal a game at Dortmund since he joined, which is in- incredible. That's probably putting it lightly. But the way he's going, if Victor Osman's healthy, he's only going to the moon. The guy is only going to start to have that sort of attention where people say, Holland, Osman, like these, uh, these two guys are going to spearhead the next wave or the next generation of young prolific strikers. And Matt, I mean, let's talk about this Napoli side for a minute because I was banging the drum um, of, of, of them not really being there in terms of firepower. And to be honest, with AFCON and, and injuries and stuff, I still think that could be a concern in the long run because we, we have seen past Napoli sides like, you know, go through these um, periods of, of dominance throughout games, maybe not, not seasons since Sarri's been there. But, I mean, I've been banging the drum on someone like uh, Anguissa. I thought Arsenal should have been looking at him. But you know credit to Napoli for picking up him on a loan with an option to buy not even obligation maybe an obligation would have been nicer now um Fabian Ruiz looks reborn I think he had like a a stuttering last like 12 to 18 months where maybe he's not the hit the the heights of all the the football manager lovers that that used to buy him all the time um Lorenzo Insigne has obviously been really consistent for them Koulibaly massive um, I thought Romani compliments him quite well in terms of being the, the kind of aggressor and then him um, covering. I think there's a decent, decent team there. Um, do you, I mean, a lot of people are saying that they might be favourites now, Matt. Do you agree with that? It's tough, right? Because I think it, every team, it, it, this is, look, Napoli last year, they were one of the hotter teams in the second half of the season. Down the stretch, they they had, they were unbeaten in nine to 10 games, which is exactly what you want, right? When they were kind of clinging to a top four spot or chasing a top four spot. But we all know with that, with them having AFCON and that being a factor here, you're going to lose some top players. Do they have enough depth to overcome that, right? Koulibaly, uh, Victor Olsenman, just to name a few. So 
that's it's going to be something that even Milan has to deal with with Frank Kessie and Isma Benacer, and whether or not they can one stay healthy, two have that depth show up and 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 do it consistent enough, you know when when they don't maybe have the full squad, it's going to be key because Roma got off to a very good start here, um, but are they going to taper off? It could. It's Jose Marino's teams typically have a nice, nice big big bolt. They the excitement, the buzz around the name, and then all of a sudden they. They fizzle out, right? They fizzle out, and Jose Mourinho becomes Jose Mourinho, and they don't quite get the results. Um, for the time being, you have to give Napoli that respect that they're they're in a better position than Juventus are to be to be champions, and they're in a better position to compete for the title to be the anti-Inter, which is kind of what we have to call here because Inter are defending champs. But as of right now, you have to love what you're seeing from Spalletti, who um who has been able to immediately get his Napoli to play the football he wants to play. And I think this is also good for Napoli um, and, and Serie A in a sense, because I think everyone always looked at Spalletti as a really solid coach. He did great work at Inter, back-to-back top four finishes, but they were waiting to see him. Like, this guy's a good coach. He needs a good opportunity. Like, he shouldn't be playing, coaching a Fiorentina or some of these other, co- other, uh, other jobs. Once he, got, once he gets into Napoli, you're starting to see why he was such a sound fit. So as of right now, you got to respect Napoli, but it's still a long season. I got to see a little bit more. Um, but right now, they're playing. They're playing really good football. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's the arrogance, the cutting edge. It's everything really that we're seeing from them right now. And um, yeah, I think Napoli looks super super impressive, and um, I think they're going to be right up there. Honestly, like I, I at first I had them kind of pegged as, as kind of that third or fourth spot, but. I think them, Milan, the two and the two inter and the two Milan sides are the ones that are going to be competing for the title. And and look, like I think Napoli might fade away because of an injury or suspension at a crucial moment. Um, look, you take Koulibaly out that back line, and suddenly it's Manolas and Romani, right? And that back line of uh, those two, uh, whoever ends up playing on the right, and Mario Rui suddenly doesn't seem amazing. They've still got obviously Alex Meretz come back from injuries, probably the you know the best Italian keeper. Uh, in in the league now, I think there's a lot there, especially in midfield. They have good depth, and and, and you know, Dries Mertens still to come back. I still, I just still worry. And, and look, can they survive a month without Victor Osman? Yes. Can they survive a month without Kulibali? I'm not as sure. So <laughs> that that's especially, the one. Especially when it depends on what with, with the um, the schedule looks like when he's yeah. out, right? That's important too, right? So if if you have him out for middle of the table against provincial sides, then you could probably skate on by, right? But if you have him out for, you know, and again, I don't have a schedule in front of me. I don't memorize the 38 match schedule. But um, if you have every, every player available for those big pivotal games against the top five, top six, then that's where you can kind of stack them up and, 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 and properly measure them and, and kind of see where they, they fall amongst the, the title contenders. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? The rest, if we're talking just on the Serie A landscape of, in that top four conversation, I mean, Atalanta, they don't look like they're off to the best start. They still have that tendency to switch on and just be the same attacking powerhouse we all come to know over the recent years. Juventus, you got to assume they're going to come back up um, and have some good form and they got a good result on the weekend. So let, let's see. It's a long season, but I think Napoli have to be respected. For sure. And let's move over to La Liga now, Matt. Um, Atletico Madrid really struggling. Barcelona are going to be nowhere near the title, probably. 
is this basically just Real Madrid's title? Like, I'm looking at Benzema somehow getting better from 33 years old, 34. Vinicius Jr. kind of flourishing. And I think they've had... What is it? They've they've assisted or each other like fifteen times already this season. Those two, Benzema has like Harry Kane level output last season, but better all round game. Are they are they gonna basically, you know, uh, is it their league now? It feels like it, right? <laughs> it's not Barcelona's. I could see that. Um, but you know, it's funny because we had this conversation, the Martino and Roberto. Um, towards the very beginning of the season. And we were always kind of mixed on like, whether it would be Atletico or Real. And the way you're seeing a Real, uh, Atletico play, it's not exactly inspiring, right? Like Griezmann is, I think he's no shots on goal, no goals, no assists. Like his number, like he's nothing. This guy hasn't brought really anything yet. And Atletico Madrid still, it still seems like they're asleep at the wheel. Right? Whereas Real Madrid, where people are still trying to see how good they are currently, because obviously they know that big moves are around the bend. They want to claim Mbappe. They couldn't get that done. But that's that seems like a formality. Now it's all of a sudden thinking, wait, if Real Madrid could win the league without having this sort of big, big summer that we think is coming, they're ready for the next dynasty. They're ready to run La, La Liga yet again. And that's a very frightening uh, idea or concept for probably a lot of people to grasp. Because you have Benzema at age 33. And we talked about this in last episode, me and Martino. The numbers he's putting up are remarkable. He has seven goals, I mean, seven assists from a striker position. If he gets that to end of the year, right. people are going to look at that and think, I mean, it may be seven. I, maybe, I don't know if I got what he got on the weekend. But if he if, if a striker ends with seven assists from, the, from that position, that's considered very good output in that category. He's got that already, and he's got eight goals or nine goals. Like, this guy is is setting the league alight, and he's it finally feels like with the exit of Ramos, <laughs> yes. with the exit of Iran and Ronaldo, and Bale not really in the equation, that it's Benzema's team. He never really got the opportunity for it to be his team. And it feels like he is the talisman that is leading Real Madrid. And it's, it's eight it's goals to watch. and seven assists in seven appearances in the league alone. It's crazy, right? And, you know, if he can, if he can match even half that output in the Champions League, you know, I, I'm not saying they're going to be up there in terms of Champions League favourites, because I think it's the, the Premier League sides, PSG and Bayern. I think they're the, the rung below, but maybe even equivalent to, you know, a man you and Chelsea now that we've seen, we're seeing a bit more of them now. Um, and I mean, that that's a good segue, isn't it, Matt, in terms of the Champions League? Like, that's that's one thing I do want to talk about. After game week one, the question for me before we kind of preview the game week two games that obviously start tomorrow night. Was there anything you saw from game week one that maybe made you readjust a take or, or change perspective on something that you thought before that first game week you know to be honest not not really I, I mean I think you know from for Milan obviously they were outclassed by Liverpool they had a couple moments where they were able to you know catch Liverpool off guard and get two goals which was which was impressive in its own right but I think it's kind of clear that that that's gonna be a very difficult task for them so in that sense it wasn't so much of a surprise to see the way that group shaped up after one round of, of matches but I think it's 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 interesting to see um how I guess you know teams like Bayern or, or teams like PSG um, you know kind of start to assert themselves on the competition right because after two or three rounds that's where you start to see like the dynamic or the overall landscape of that group shape up who's going to finish first who's going to finish second 
Is there going to be just a team that completely underwhelms and finishes in the cellar? Who tries to go for third so they can get to the Europa League? Who is strategically trying to finish fourth so it's not really a, a concern for them and they can focus domestically? So I let's see what happens after this, this next wave of games. Because in my eyes, there really wasn't much that kind of shaped my opinion as to whether or not things could be all of a sudden different now with, with my predictions or overall uh, perception of the way things can, can play out in the Champions League. Cool. Um, well, let's 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 kind of look at game week two fixtures. So we've got Inter Milan going away to Shakhtar Donetsk, which is never easy, Matt. Where do you? How do you see this one? Oh, <laughs> Inter in the Champions League, just like you know what? It, you know what? You know what it is though. It's strange because I think Shakhtar, who have Italian manager the Derby, who was at Sassuolo previously, so there is some sort of yeah. knowledge of what Inter can do as a team. Yeah. So I think they're going to be prepared in that sense. But Shakhtar have always been a team that's like attacking oriented, attacking focused. So I think you're going to see them dazzle a little bit, like maybe catch Inter off guard, because I think Inter obviously have had a good start here, but I don't necessarily think they're a team that's going to run right through Shakhtar like maybe some people think they should as title winners or defending champions. Again, it's a different team. Simone Zaghi is not the same coach as Conte. And I know Inter have had their difficulties in the Champions League, but I just think this can be a very, very tight affair. And a one where you start to kind of maybe see that sort of experience that Viterbi has coming up against, um, you know, this essentially feels like it could maybe feel like a, like a Serie A game in a sense, because it's Italian coach versus Italian coach a lot of the same principles and, and ways of playing. And that's the way I see this. I see it being tight. I, I see it being tight. I see it being um, pretty back and forth. And I see goals. I really do. Yeah, I think Inter have not been as good at the back. Um, but I, I, I do think that they will wear just one. I think they need to win. Shakhtar are kind of happy to be there, aren't they, from a Champions League perspective, um, or or just pick up that Europa League spot? But I mean, going on on yesteryear, right? They have progressed, so um, let's see where that goes. Uh, Ajax Besiktas, I've got Ajax winning this pretty comfortably, especially after how badly they beat Sporting. Um, they look so so much better than anyone in the Eredivisie, and I just think they'll have too much for Besiktas as well. Same. I think Ajax, we have to see Ajax make this sort of climb in this competition because, yes, they're a much, much different team from the one that, you know, made a deep run a couple of years ago. But they still seem to like have that identity where they can put the, the guys into position to succeed and they feel as though they're a team that's going to compete to at the very least be in contention to get out of the group. So I like them winning. Mm. And then Real Madrid against Sheriff. I mean, I think we're probably... You know, it, it's it's probably going to be a case of Real Madrid waltzing this one, especially at home. Yeah. Yep. I mean, now it's just a matter of whether or not I want to take the over on goals. To be honest, no offense to Sheriff. I mean, the fact that they're here is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I just don't see any sort of outcome where it's Real Madrid not winning. And then Milan Atletico Madrid. Matt, I've got you guys winning this one. 2-0. <sighs> That's tough, right? Because it's easy, it's, it's easy for you to speak on it and feel comfortable <laughs> with a 2-0 because it's... Look, I, I think that there's... It, it wouldn't surprise me either way, right? Because I think people are looking at this matchup as the one that seems a little bit more even-keeled. The Liverpool one, everyone knew going into Anfield, Milan were going to have a tough challenge ahead. But against Atletico Madrid, who aren't in the best form, 
as I mentioned, Griezmann, some of these other guys are not really at their, at their, their top form here. So this is the opportunity for Milan, provided they have the ideal 11 they want, because they've been dealing with some injuries of late, to go into this match with, 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 the, with the buzz and, and the fanfare at the San Siro, finally welcoming them back to the Champions League. It's going to be such a great environment. And when that anthem hits, the oh, players are going to get up, the fans chance, are going to get up. A San Siro, a Milan at the San Siro in the Champions League, it's, it feels right. And I, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be a win. I think Milan are going to play much better than they did against um, in this match than they did against Liverpool. And I, I like this to be 1-1. I do think Milan are going to have the better, the upper hand. I actually do think Milan are going to have more of the opportunities. But I think it's going to be 1-1. I just don't know if they're going to be able to capitalize much on the chances. And of course, if, especially if um, it's not Giroud and it's rubbish up front. Because he's kind of, he can have his moments, but then he can have his moments where you look at him and you're like, what is, where does he fit in this team? Hmm. So we'll, we'll wait and see. I think it's 2-0. I think Milan are going to win 2-0. That has nothing to do with who I'm playing in so rare this week, a.k.a. Tamori, <laughs> Hernandez, and Tenali. So uh, let's see. Uh, Dortmund Sporting, I think I think Dortmund have got that as well. Um, sporting looked really poor against Ajax, and I think, uh, you know, with Haaland and the way Jude Bellingham's playing, I think they'll have too much. Yeah. Um, Dortmund always just seem to be like they always seem to replenish. They always seem to get the young, young players in positions, and they're scoring and they're flying high. And they have that at the very least that a buzz around them um, that maybe they don't get domestically because Bayern Munich always seems to just kind of run the league. But in the Champions League, it's just there's something about watching Holland at center stage in the Champions League and him pretty much almost eschewing to score every match now. That's kind of the run he's on. And I, I, I saw some stats here. I, I don't know. You can hold me to this, but I think he's like a couple away from surpassing Kylian Mbappe and Neymar for Champions League goals already at this stage of his career. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Which is is nuts. Which is nuts to think about that. He's only about 21, 22 years old, and he's clear-cut. Like, in my eyes, he's close to overtaking Kylian Mbappe, if we're being honest here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... You know, he looks out of this world. Jude Bellingham looks fucking ridiculous as well. Amazing um, he looks He looks like a real stud. And I mean, I'd be shocked if he wasn't starting in the World Cup. I know that's a big shout, but if you look at England's midfield of Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice, you need someone a bit different in there who has that, that you know, that Xavi Pauser, who has that dynamism to, to also play box to box, to have an impact in the final third. And mm. I think... Um, it's uh yeah i i i really think he's going to be some some player some player and he has the the kind of like mature head on his shoulders if you hear him speak there's no kind of murmurs of of, of a bad attitude he's got a, like a footballing mm-hmm. family good people around him so yeah top top player and um they just keep finding them um yeah the the, 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 the guile the personality at such a young age like you look at him and the more he plays and the more he puts on these these great performances the more the just the the, the the value goes up, the value goes up, and in my eyes, if it's not because Holland is probably going to leave this this upcoming summer, yeah. If it's not this summer, I think it's next, and that's where Bellingham becomes the most expensive English transfer of all time. I really do. I really do believe that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be big. Um, PSG Man City, the big one. Donnarumma starting, getting his, his first Champions League start. So at the very least, I'll be watching for that. Um, 
uh, at, at the very again, at the very least, if you're watching for that. But aside from that, I mean, the star power all on display here. Um, part of me, when it looks at PSG, and part of me, when I when I kind of stack them up as a, as a, whether or not I think they could be in that kind of category for like the Champions League favorites, they are. But are they number one for me? They're not. And the reason why I always kind of down look down on them is the fact that they play in, in a league that they typically run right through. They don't really have tons of competition. And yes, you know, Lille and Lyon, occasionally Marseille can give them a test. But teams that are in the Premier League that have, that are always seem to be battle-tested, top opponents, pretty much feels like every week, they always have to grind. And those sorts of moments where you have to grind only add up and build into something bigger. And I, I actually actually like City winning this over PSG. I wow. don't think Messi's, yeah. Messi's quite there yet. Um, he looks I think unfit. He looks unfit. He's still kind of being integrated in slowly. Um, the Mbappe, Mbappe drama. Neymar, there's, there's drama yeah. there. Um, is there some 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 nerves to shake out for Donnarumma? Right, this is a huge huge moment for him. I know he had a great Euro, and you know he did it on such a big stage. But this is different. He's going to no come Sergio under Ramos pressure. Yet. Exactly. I like City win this for sure. I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you, especially. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Um, Porto Liverpool I've got Liverpool here as well they were really good away from home last season in the Champions League and I just I just don't see any other way here yeah and the fact that they were able to have that sort of performance at home against Milan yeah um, missing some missing some yeah takes the pressure off that they were missing some key guys in that as well and they still got the result in the end and they look convincing aside from the the two goals as I mentioned they, they 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 dominated that game so I think with that being said, coming into this one, having some guys back, building off that first victory, I, I like Liverpool to just kind of handle this one pretty simply. Mm. Uh, Leipzig Club Bruges. I mean, Bruges were really impressive against PSG, weren't they? And they rested mm-hmm. a few players in midweek. So, um, uh, I mean, could they cause an upset here? I mean, you have to respect them at least a little bit, right? To go into the to, to the face of a team that, like PSG that has all that star power and, and compete and get the result that they did. Uh, I just think that Leipzig are a team that they score versus anybody. Yeah. Defensive, a team that's in good form, a team that can, they, they have such a well, they score five such a well, in midweek or five this weekend. I think, I think so. Well, they're such a well-oiled machine that I think there's, I just don't see any position Six. here where Club Rouge are able to contain them. Um, it could be one of those cases where, it's tight maybe for a good portion of the game. But as I mentioned, Leipzig had the ability to switch it on quickly and hit you for a couple goals quick. So I, I like them getting a result here. Yeah, I agree. And then Atalanta against Young Boys. I mean, Young Boys did amazingly, right, to, to beat United. But surely they can't cause another upset here. No. <laughs> I, I think Atalanta are going to have a, uh, a good moment here in the Champions League. They're going to get the victory. going to see... I think you're going to see the Atalanta we've come to expect um, because, as I mentioned in, in our Serie A focus on this episode, they haven't quite gotten those results yet where they look like that, that team that could put three or four on you quickly. This could be the match where I think they turn it on, and it's something that I think can translate over to, uh, to Serie A. Zenit St. Petersburg, Malmo. Again, I'm not going to profess to know the most about Malmo, but I mean, Zenit should probably take care of business here pretty comfortably. Yeah, 
um, 3-0 defeat that Mamo took to Juventus, a Juventus team that isn't in good form and at the time wasn't in good form as well. Um, they're still kind of scraping on by. They had a 3-1 lead against Sampdoria at home this past weekend. Kondreva scores a goal, makes it 3-2, and it was still a little bit nervy mm. towards the end of that one. So Juventus aren't in the best no, form. No Dybala as well. Got... Yeah, no Dybala as well. So in this case, Malmo got beat by a team 3-0, who yeah. isn't in best form at all. So I think Zenit's going get, to get the, get the job done. Mm. Um, I mean, Juve-Chelsea now, Matt. I just mentioned no no, uh, no Dybala. I, I actually had... I and no and no Murata, yeah. Always Kane starting up front. Yeah, I know you're going to be crazy, but I kind of had Juve maybe winning this one. Um, without Murata and Dybala, I don't think they've got a shot. Like, I just don't see... Like, as soon as he goes off Dybala, the pace of the attack in the final third just dies, right? Like, you could see it in against Milan, right? They were so, so, so good in that first 30 minutes, Juventus, where... Dybala was just kind of dominating the game. And as soon as he's not locked in and in the game, they just have nothing in the final third. It's very difficult for them. So a lot of pressure on Chiesa. A huge game for Moise Keane, as you mentioned. Is Kulisevsky going to have to come in and perform? It's a big ask against a Chelsea team who don't concede that much. And I think, I actually think it's still going to be a draw. I'm not sure Chelsea go there, turn up and, and win, especially with uh, Lukaku's been a bit quiet the last three or four games. And, and you know... Allegri will probably roll out Chiellini, Benucci, and Delit to, to deal with him. Um, I, I kind of see a draw in this one. I do too, actually. Um, again, as strange as the form has been, you know, right? It, it's, it's funny how the perception changes because going into last week, if this was last week before Chelsea played against City and had the performance they did, I would have said Chelsea's going to walk right through you because Juve haven't been playing well at all. But now you see that between the injuries, between the defeat that, that Chelsea took on the weekend, you, you kind of sense that this is a match that Juventus are going to get up for. Um, again, there's some familiarity between some of the players. Um, obviously, Lukaku is going to be a big focus as well, and Moise Kane. But I like Allegri. That's the one thing I do like about Allegri. In big games, especially yeah. in the Champions League, I like for him to get the result, like to dig deep and really get the results that, are, that, he, that can be built upon. And I, I think that's what's going to happen here. I think it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be a high scoring. I think it's going to be actually a 1-1 draw. Mm. Um, moving over to Wolfsburg-Sevilla. Listen, I, I haven't been watching too much of these two teams. So I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I just think that there's... It's 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 too up it's too up in the air for me. I I don't want to speak. I don't want to sound like I'm I'm an expert, um, <laughs> but this this strikes me as the type of match where you're going to get goals, just a lot of goals. And if you're a better and that's something that you like to to do, I, I, this is one I think you can maybe bet the over two and a half, three three and a half. I just think it's going to be one of those just very open games between a team like Wolfsburg um, playing in the Bundesliga and a team like Sevilla who obviously like to play attacking football. I just see it being very open, and I, I think it's going to be actually Sevilla getting the narrow victory. Uh, awesome. And Bayern, Dynamo, Kiev, I think it's going to be a straightforward Bayern Munich victory here, unless you've got any insight on Dynamo, Kiev that makes me think so otherwise. No, I am not an expert on <laughs> Dynamo, Kiev at all. Uh, I, I like Lewandowski to get, a, get on the score sheet, and I like Bayern to have another victory in their pocket. Yeah agree uh rb salzburg against lille 
Now, this is an interesting one. This is, yeah. Um, Lil, different team than what we saw last year, of course, that won the, the French French division. Um, Salzburg, they have their moments. They have their players in many ways that are kind of like Leipzig light. Um, I like I like Salzburg getting the win here. I think, unfortunately, with oh, wow. Lil, there's... There's so much over. There's so much overhaul or over. Uh, you know, just constantly changing of the squad, and they lost some key figures both in the squad and in, in on the bench and in, in, in the back the background. So I, I just don't know what to expect from Lille this season. I mean, they're not off to the same start that they had last year, where they eventually became you know the title winners. So it's hard to really expect that they're going to be able to uh, assert themselves uh, and have that sort of same impact uh, in this one. So I like Salzburg to get the victory. Awesome. Uh, last couple here, Benfica, Barcelona. Man. Um, <laughs> so hard to say Barca these days, isn't it? Benfica is at home, right? Yeah. I did watch Barcelona on the weekend, though, and they looked a little more punchy. And Ansu Fati's back. I don't know how many minutes he'll get, but when he starts playing properly, I think they're going to be a better side And when Pedri's back in the squad as well. So I think they might win this one. I think they yeah. might win this one. Uh, I think they might edge it. I think Memphis Depay looks really good for them. Um, Serginio Dest looked really good at left back uh, in the absence of Jordi Alba. I don't really like Eric Garcia. I think uh, Araujo is going to be the, the centre-back there. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll maybe win this one 2-1, maybe 3-1. Let's see. I like Barcelona to win too. And then Man United, Villarreal. Surely... Surely they can't go back-to-back losses. I-, I think this is going to be quite a convincing one, right? You you have that, like, back-to-back losses or bad performances. You get bailed out against West Ham. Surely that was the bottom. Like, losing to Villa at home after losing to Young Boys away in a last-minute crazy Lingard thing. Surely that's the bottom, and... You know, maybe maybe he freshens it up. You know, Ronaldo starts up top and, and Pogba starts central midfield. Um, Sancho on the left or Lingard on the left. Maybe they, they look to kind of, you know, release the shackles a little bit. Because I think the thing about Ronaldo out front is amazing, right? Because you've got a guy who guarantees you 30, 40, 50 goals a season, whatever. The issue is if you don't have the movement and creativity behind him, which you do have the creativity with Pogba, but sometimes... You know when a player is just better at looking at the game from a bit more of a, a wider scope? I think that is where Paul Pogba is best, where he is next to a, a destroyer like a Matic or someone, and he's just let he's just let loose in that central midfield area. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see like a McTominay Pogba or a Matic Pogba, maybe even Fred Pogba, um, Bruno Fernandes, and then like a Greenwood, maybe Sancho or Lingard, and then Ronaldo up top, and, and they really just go go for it. They're at home, full stadium, midweek. People are going to love it, and I think they're going to beat them comfortably. Yeah, I see him. I think there's there's even even if my Man United haven't looked that strong of late, I just think in certain moments you have too much quality in the squad for it to be just just wasted. Um, they could have a, they're gonna they're gonna have a match where they'll probably win convincingly here, but it's not to say that they maybe have turned a new leaf and they're they're mm-hmm. gonna be able to, they're back right that Ollie's back and he's gonna convince and everyone knows he's their guy, right? It's it's one of those things where team is stronger, team is better personnel wise, they should win and that's that's pretty much the way it rolls. If they don't win, I mean Ollie out's gonna be trending. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be trending even more. It'll be hotter. It'll be a hotter topic, and we'll probably be 
talking about it for the third straight week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Right, well, I think that's all we've got time for, Matt. Uh, bang on 45, 50 minutes. I think people can't handle us more than that. Um, sorry, no, Martino. I'm sure he'll be back next week. Uh, he had some, some big things on this week. And uh, Matt, where can people find out more about you? Follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Follow what me and Martino do on Milan Reports at MilanReports.com. We stream multiple times a week. Make sure you guys subscribe to us and thank you for the support. Awesome. And yeah, you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Most recent thing I've been working on, otherwise, apart from uh, joining Copper 90 as the head of crypto media, is launching a sporting crypto newsletter. So if that's something of interest to you, then head over to my pinned tweet. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening and have a great day. Hope your teams win, unless you're a Spurs fan. <laughs>